It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And anywhere across the country, if you've downloaded the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM. And you can listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right across the country. You could also listen online at our website at elementfm, uh, elementfm.ca. And you can also uh, download our previously recorded interviews, etc., on our SoundCloud if you've missed one or you'd like to go back and listen to something again. I'd like to welcome our first guest to the show today. Dennis McCready, he uh, is the the head of the... uh, the National Film Board's Francophone Studio in Toronto since 2018. And that's where he's in charge of the French language productions in Canada, anywhere outside of Quebec. It's a pleasure to welcome him to the show today. Dennis, welcome. Yeah. It's great that you could join us. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And uh, I just want to say that you you are also here in regard to a film we're going to be discussing. It's a, uh, a documentary um, that I understand you were the hands-on producer. Now, it's, I, I don't always see hands-on producer in, in shows, uh, but you were, I guess, fairly, uh, fairly uh, uh, in, like it says, hands-on with this production of Wasseskin. And uh, it's a, an uncensored look at the complex process of rebuilding men at war with themselves and at the Healing Center's philosophy uh, is the, uh, the, that healing does not come from erasing one's past, but by engaging one's cultural identity and traditional values. Yes, so um, I happen to be uh, um, at a bizarre timing in the film's um, process because I was replacing the um, producer, Nathalie Cloutier, who was on a leave of absence because of a maternity leave. Uh, so I came on board when the project had been developed for um, a number of years by Steve, and then and then brought over uh, uh, and uh, you know and, and developed at the NFP. And so when I came in, Steve had just started filming, and I spent the rest of the year, um, uh, uh, you know, working with him on the project. Um, and then when Natalie took came over she took over the post-production and I was uh, I was participating in the screenings and in the um, you know the finishing of the film mm. uh, so so I know uh, I know a lot about the um, the process that Steve has gone through and it's uh, 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 and also the you know the, the whole the whole subject, the whole topic. Yeah, now Steve uh, Patry, as you mentioned, the director, uh, and um, this is a, f- a follow-up for him, I understand, to a film he did on, uh, on, on prisoners getting out of prison. Yeah, his first film uh, in French, De Prison en Prison, and I think in English it must be like From Prison to Prison. Mm. Uh, he was following three people who were um, experimenting uh, you know the difficulties of their their addiction and their their um, their uh, problems of of getting in and out of jail, um, and it so happens that one of the character was uh, um, at uh, at Wasiskun and was I think was transitioning out mm. of that phase, and he was probably um, I think I, if I remember uh, correctly he was having permissions. And so he was he was in the process of of finishing his sentence at Wasiskun, and. Steve was very interested in in you know this this 
what is actually a prison, but doesn't have the classic, uh, you know, repressive system around. There's no armed guards. Uh, there's no, you know, security gate there. Uh, there in the, the woods. Um, you know, it's, it's more mm -hmm. like a big camping ground uh, with buildings. And so he got interested in, in the, the place what happens there the people and uh that's slowly triggered his 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 desire to want to make a film specifically about uh Wasseskun. yeah so Wasseskun, uh, as you mentioned uh it, it, this film is shot inside the healing center and it's a rehabilitation facility for indigenous male offenders of all ages from all communities located in the town of saint alphonse rodriguez in the larandiere region of quebec yes yes and so you can imagine, um, because of the the, uh, the nature of the location, um, it was a kind of a long process to get permission. Because first, uh, Steve had to talk to the um, you know the uh, um, uh, the ministry that mm. deals with with the correctional system, and then once he had uh, uh, you know uh, cleared all the red tape and had got permission from them he then went and met with um what was uh, uh managers uh and talked to the, the 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 directors there and then he spoke to uh the healers uh and all the uh the therapists and the people that work with them every day uh and got their their input uh and their their green light he then spoke to some of the elders of uh, Waseskun and then, you know, explained what he was doing. And then he met with the residents, the, the you know, the, the, um, uh, the residents of Waseskun. Mm -hmm. And only after going through this, this process of meeting everybody and explaining his uh, idea and uh, what he wanted to do, um, did he get a green light, you know, across uh, the board from everybody. Um, and then... Uh, he started the process of of the production from then on. You know, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the first things I thought of when I when I was watching this. I, I thought, how did he get in here to get all this access to these people, showing them inside their rooms, showing them doing all these these things? I thought, wow, that's that's wow. I I just thought that's not very often that that kind of thing would happen. That you would get that kind of uh, free reign inside a facility like that, especially with with all the people uh, participating as well. Yeah, it's uh, there's something what Steve had, the way he approached it, and I think any filmmaking uh, on on a sensitive subject and on uh, on a subject where you're you want to go. Um, uh, deep in the intimacy of, of mm -hmm. everyday people. I think that's the only way is to, first of all, be absolutely transparent as mm -hmm. to what your intentions are. Uh, I think you have to take the time to meet the people. So the way he had, uh, we had designed the approach with, with the center was that he would live there um, three to four days um, uh, over the, you know, he would usually um, show there, go there on Monday and then he would, you know, leave on a Thursday or a Friday, something like that. And every month, he did this for 12 months. Yeah. And every month he would spend several days there. He would, you know, eat, sleep, spend the day, watch television, play hockey, you know, and essentially be immersed in their everyday life. Um, so that was, that was the, 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 you know, the, the proposition from the get-go. Um, what's 
I think what's interesting, and people who will see the film, uh, it's being launched online uh, very soon. I think it's it's. Um, yeah, the it's it's the eleventh, the eleventh. Yep. And, okay, great, great. Yep. And it's free for uh, worldwide on the NFT.ca. Yeah. yeah. So, so the way he approached this first was to immerse himself in their everyday life, and the second thing is that uh, they have a circle of of uh, in the morning where they talk. And he would sit in the circle every day. Um, and at some point, there would be given a moment where he could um, tell them of what he wanted to film that day, having, having heard what was going on today. Mm. So he'd be like, okay, you know, I'd, I'd like to film, um, uh, you know, this person working uh, on their wood carvings, or I'd like to, uh, mm. you know, to film the hockey. And every, um, every resident could then you know, actually every resident would say, okay, today I'm good. You can film me, mm. you know, or mm. today I don't want to be filmed mm -hmm. uh, or, Hey, I'm having a meeting with my therapist. Would you like to come? Mm. So every morning with everybody, he would validate what would happen during the day and would, you know, of course, respect this, you know, to the letter. Sure. So, so that progressively, um, the residents got to understand what he was looking for, and he got to understand the inner workings also of uh, uh, Wasseskun. So it was a, it was a slow process, but uh, very uh, very progressive, um, because it's about learning about each other, building confidence, mm. um, and owning up to you know your uh, your uh, uh, your statement that you you're there mm. to respect. Uh, who they are and what they're going through. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the fact that you mentioned that he would uh, spend time there, um, almost like embedding himself, like, yeah. uh, you know, um, and, and you could see the passage of time, like you said. Uh, you actually did get to see that throughout the, mm -hmm. the documentary, that you're there uh, as because he does show that uh, just by the uh, the weather that's happening outside. And you yes, see that it he, he wanted to do circle. a full year. Mm. Uh, a full calendar year to show the seasons to, mm. to capture you know the passage of time and I think that was really good because it also gave you a sense of how long that that, that, you, that these people were in there for uh, covering this and it was fascinating as you say to get to see that you were in there uh, with uh, with the person's one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one meeting uh, you know uh, with and, and talking freely about themselves and about what they've learned or what they the mistakes they made and and those kind of things and uh, it was it was fascinating to watch that way mm -hmm. it's what's i think what was key um and it's true in any documentary and but but i think you know true of any human relationships is that if you take the time and you demonstrate um you know your your intentions and you show that you care by taking the time mm. um at some point, uh, you know, he, I mean, he was surprised being invited into therapy because mm. it's very intimate. Sure. These are moments where men are opening up, uh, you know, and, um, but, but he, you know, all that we saw in the film was validated as they went along. So for him also, it helped Steve because he knew that everything he captured had been, you know, allowed and, and, and okayed by the guys, then he, he couldn't do anything. You know, there wasn't any risk of, Oh, you know, I, 
I filmed this on the, you know, there was no situation where he filmed something on the fly and nobody was aware of it. And mm. then, oh, you have to go back and validate it. And, mm. you know, so it, right. it, it gave him a lot of confidence as he went through and, uh, uh, and, and building the material. And you can imagine, you know, if you film for four days time 12, yeah. um, you gather a lot of material. So I'm then sure, after yeah. that, it's, it's, it's the, the process of selecting and editing mm. and, and telling the story. And one of the key thing that also Steve was trying to do was to not uh, focus on one person per se, mm. but to get a, get a broad spectrum of what is the going in, living there and then leaving because some, some characters were finishing um, mm -hmm. uh, their, uh, their sentence there. And so he, he, we have a, a, a wide, um, uh, a wide selection of, of, of people of residents who, who have, you know, very different lives. Um, the reason why they're there are also quite different. Some have, um, you know, very serious crimes. Mm -hmm. uh, some are, you know, have had trouble with with uh, dependency and 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 mm -hmm. and petty crimes. So, you you get you get a brooch of that. But his uh, the way the film is built, it's not a classic um, information. You know, there's no narrator telling you what's going on and and giving information. Everything we hear is from their voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Um, I just want to jump in and, and mention that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. So uh, just going back into, uh, uh, Dennis, what you were saying there, I was wondering that, it, do you think that, that the fact that Steve did this, this prior documentary regarding prisons and dealing with people, uh, des prisons en prison, uh, do you think that helped him in, in regard to maybe looking at how to approach this and, and how to, uh, to work through this and, and, and get the kind of film that he was looking for out of it? I think so. Um, what's, what, one of the challenges of, of making films, and, and Steve Patry with, with Wasseskun, I think, reached a, a really uh, important milestone here is that a filmmaker has to ask him or herself, am I the right person for this project? Mm. Because you can have a great idea, but if you don't have the understanding of the ecosystem you're going to be working in, mm. or you don't, um, you don't know your topic very well, you can go in with your big filmmaker boots, <laughs> you know, and, and, and step on people's, mm flowers and, and garden and, and, and be, uh, and, and so what his experience with the previous film gave him a, an insight into uh, Wasescon because he was, he was one of the um, uh, participant in his mm. first film was at Wasescon. So it, 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 it was kind of an introduction mm. and throughout the process of, of also obtaining all the permission, he learned more and more. And, Steve is uh, is somebody who's kind of discreet, and he has an ability to listen. Mm. Uh, his 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 first film was quite stunning because he was he was with people who were, you know, in distress. They're going through some really hard times, and yet he's there, and he's you know they're letting him in, and they're opening up about what's going on. And this is this is very rare for a film. Um, and and Wasescon does that in the sense that you're it's it's like you're sitting there in that circle, 
with them or, or you're in the room, you're, you're, you're part of what's going on and mm. um, you, you, you feel welcome and, and of course humbled by uh, how they open up and share. Uh, and these are hard stories. These are, are difficult stories because uh, all of these, uh, all of the men at Wasiskun are, are, they're battling, you know, their own war, as you were saying. They, mm. they all carry either, uh, you know, their addiction or, or their trauma or past history that has uh, marked them and, and you know, um, uh, confronted them. Uh, and so what we hear also at Wasiskun is how, how do you heal from, from, you know, what you've been given in life? Um, mm. And there's a very, very powerful statement uh, at some point from one of the um, therapists. She's an elder there, and she says, hurt people hurt people. Mm. And, and so people who've been hurt will, in, you know, turn around and hurt other people around. And, and, and where are you in this cycle, and how do you... Uh, how do you, uh, you know, take responsibility? It's something that comes up in a lot of the uh, conversations that the residents have. Mm. Like, how do you take responsibility for who you are and who you've become and who you want to become? Um, and the yeah. film is quite precious in that sense, that it, it, it opens up and, and gives us access to this world. You know, the other thing is you were talking there that I thought about, and I thought about this while I was watching the film, um, because of the statements being made by the 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 inmates there participating and and what they were talking about and the as you mentioned uh, the the abuse that they took uh, and and what they were exposed to as children and uh, it took me back uh, simply because uh, my own family history uh, has uh, uh, a similar my 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 mom got rid of my dad um, when she was pregnant with me because he tried to strangle her and, and uh, broke mm. her nose and, wow, and that I'm was sorry. how she saw the option to get sure. rid of him. Uh, again, um, you know, alcohol was involved, uh, history of that, uh, indigenous man. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and I couldn't help but, you know, when I grew up, I always thought that I was uh, lucky not to have a father around because of what I saw going on. And I only say yeah. that because I could relate to what I heard these gentlemen in this film yeah. talking about and it was always with a father the father was always the abusive character in in their stories mm -hmm. and i thought geez you know um and it's unfortunate and it's really unfortunate but uh yeah uh it, it's it's a great film that i think people should definitely watch uh to get an insight not only into what happens here at Wasseskin, but also uh, for these characters and and uh, maybe a little bit of more of an insight and understanding uh some of it goes into the uh the residential school system and uh some of their parents that it went through there i i find that it's a, it's a bizarre thing to say but Wasseskin should almost be um you know, mandatory screening in schools mm. Mm. when you get to a certain age, okay, mm -hmm. and you're mature enough to deal because it opens up to our collective history in Canada. Right. And it gives us an insight as to, you know, uh, some of the root causes and the consequences. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very powerful in that sense. It is. In regard to, to uh, what you were just saying about um, 
you know, mandatory viewing um, mm-hmm. at a certain age, of course, as you mentioned, which is a good point. Uh, it, you know, I guess the other thing is, uh, as, as we just mentioned, um, that it, it does deal with delicate topics. And uh, in regard to that, perhaps a disclaimer or something should go out ahead of that uh, to specific, might be uh, schools or communities, uh, indigenous communities, because uh, we it, it's unknown where these people in the film come from, and that but that might relate back to to some of these uh, viewing areas. Yeah, um, a lot of Amer- a lot of um, NFB films are are used in you know uh, in schools in community settings where um, a group or people might say, okay, we want to organize a screening, and of course in this current pandemic, it's 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 different. Um, but let's say somebody wanted to use uh, the film and, and send a group of people to watch it online. I think it's important that they're aware of the content of the film mm. and that they, they, um, they, they, you know, put a disclosure uh, in their invitation so that they, they understand that, you know, the topic matters that are addressed in the film are, can be quite intense. Um, you know, a lot of the residents will mention in their therapy or in their conversation, why they're there, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, was it a, a economic crime that they get into a fight? Um, um, but some are, are there for murder and, mm-hmm. and these are, 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 have serious impacts in the communities where they occurred. Um, so I think it's important that, you know, if people say, okay, you know, we'd like uh, our community to look at the film and, or, or, you know, we'd like our, a group of people to look at the film to just take time before to assess um, you know, is there somebody in the community that could be affected um, by what is said in the film? And just to accompany it, um, you know, when we put it online, there's a description of the film. And anybody who, you know, goes to the page and clicks will, will know what the film is about. They won't, right. you know, get into the film not knowing what yes. to expect. Yes. Um, but, but if people want to invite uh, their community, I think it's just an important step. Um, because the film, in my mind, is very uh, respectful um, there's no information as to where the residents are from. Um, you know, they sometimes will refer to their family, um, their partners, uh, their community, but they don't, they don't name them. They don't mention them. Yes, right. uh, so in that respect, there's confidentiality is, is preserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and Steve Patry, the director, was very, uh, very cautious, uh, you know, to, in handling all of this information. You know, I want to go back to uh, the director, Steve Petri, as you mentioned, because uh, in, go- in, in talking about his approach and the fact that, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that this film and how it's described as he, he's given uh, unprecedented access to the center and focuses uh, the lens on the daily lives of these residents. And as you pointed out, he's he was so much, uh, somewhat uh, sort of an embedded uh, uh, film uh, director within the process over a period of a year for this film. Uh, and that, you know, the way he approaches it is, is with empathy, but not naivety. And it chronicles the difficult journey of these men, as has been pointed out, that you just wanted to, to reiterate there. And I think, though, the fact that he was given this uh, access, the way you described this in, at the beginning of how he, he took a lot of uh, very slow steps to approach people and make sure he, had, he was granted access to all levels uh, in all parties and made sure that every person knew that they could opt out if they didn't want to any given day or any given time. And, um, you know, I think that's really interesting. And, and just from an Indigenous perspective, 
was probably the best thing he could have done because, you know, as someone who uh, has, has done some journalism work with APTN and gone in to different communities over a period of years with, with a camera on their shoulder, uh, but certainly um, as someone uh, of, of understanding the request of indigenous people, they don't want people to just show up and put a camera in their face. They, they no. want to get to know people a little bit. They want to know who you are. They want to know more about you. So I think that uh, Steve's, Steve's, you know, the way he approached this was definitely the right thing to do because it, um, it obviously proved very well for him. And he was given this, mm-hmm. this access. Not only that, but even how you described that some of these people would come up and say, oh, I'm going into my, my one-on-one therapy session. You want yeah. to come in and watch. I mean, wow. You know, that's, uh, that speaks uh, about the, um, the confidence and the trust that they ha- he had built up with them. You know, what's interesting is that by um, reflecting on how we make films, and it's one of the things that the NFB has done is in 2017, like we took a stand in saying, you know, we need to, you know, in respect to the um, uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission's uh, recommendations, we need to step and look into how we work with uh, Indigenous filmmakers, but also with Indigenous uh, subjects and topics. Mm. And one of the first thing was to admit that we had contributed to, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, I'd say the pollution of communications by, by, you know, making films that were not respectful in that process or in that matter. Mm. And, you know, that's like on the page one of our new, like mm. of the new indigenous um, approach that was launched in 2017. It's like, we're, you know, we, we made mistakes and we want to mm. correct them. Mm. And we also, you know, have a responsibility as an institution to go forward and do things the right way. When we look at this and we, I realized that this has helped me as a filmmaker in general, because we tend to take for granted that, you know, as filmmakers, um, you know, if we, if we uh, approach people and, and start filming them and blah, 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 and they say it's okay, um, that, you know, this is generally accepted. But by, by being um, very respectful and, and going full spectrum, you know, from like the federal government to the residents, the people mm. who are in front of the camera and getting sure you get the go ahead from everybody and also everybody understands what you're doing. Mm. Um, we should approach filmmaking like this all the time. Mm. You know, for me, it's, it's like common sense um, of respecting the people you want to go and meet and tell stories about. Mm. And, um, you know, there's, there's something was, I, I heard, um, a young indigenous poet years ago say something quite powerful in, in, in that she said, before we consider re- reconciliation, we have to do reconnection. Mm. We have to, you know, talk to each other. We have to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and then somewhere along the line, yeah, this, this aspect will be, you know, will be addressed because it's, it's, it's an obvious and necessary step, you know? Right. Uh, and I think filmmakers, by virtue of the fact that we're collecting things, we also have to start thinking about returning things um, and how we're approaching it in the, in the, in the studios right now is that, you know, we're, we're working with uh, indigenous filmmakers. And one of the first questions we ask at the beginning is, okay, we're going to be going into your community um, 
or into your story, personal story or community stories, how can we um, return what we've, you know, received? Mm. How can this be a two-way, you know, uh, uh, interaction so that we're not just, you know, capturing material, making a film and putting it out there? Yeah, that's what we do. But can we do something also that's going to enrich the community that's contributed to the film? Mm. Um, and that's it's there's no recipe you know so mm-hmm. you have to you have to like talk to the filmmakers uh, help w- work with the filmmaker to identify people in the community who are you know mm-hmm. the stakeholders or the people to have a conversation with on this um, and it all comes down to what Steve did with his project was take the time mm-hmm. take the time go through the steps don't rush things um, and you know, when you take a position and you present people with your intentions, stick to it. This is, this is, you know, this is very important. Uh, and, and because Steve is, is, he's very grounded and, and he's very respectful as a filmmaker and it shows in his work, mm-hmm. in his previous work. Um, he's gradually, you know, essentially demonstrated that his, his, he was, he was uh, walking the talk. Mm. Right, exactly. Nicely said, and uh, a wonderful way for us, to, I believe, to end our conversation about uh, this film, Wasseskin, which uh, people can see on the nationalfilmboard.ca uh, worldwide uh, as of now. And uh, it's been a pleasure, Dennis, speaking with you, and we really thank you for bringing your, your words and, uh, and uh, some uh, representation for, uh, from Steve uh, for this film. And uh, congratulations to the NFB and to Steve uh, for this film. Thank you, David. Have a good day. All right, you too. That is Dennis McCready. He is the head of the NFB's uh, Francophone Studio in Toronto, and he's in charge of the French language productions in Canada outside of Quebec. You can catch Wiseskin on the NFB.ca. It is streaming free worldwide. You can catch it and uh, recommend you go see this. You can hear about and see some of the things we've been talking about, that sensitivity that Steve brings to this film, this documentary. I recommend you do that. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. But don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and of course, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM, listen on your device of choice anywhere across the country, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I'd like to welcome our guest to the show. He's been on the show before, actually. Uh, We had him on a while back uh, talking to him about uh, a book he wrote, From the Ashes, and it's a pleasure to have Jesse Thistle back on the show. And uh, today we're talking about something different, uh, but just to give you a little bit of a background about Jesse, he's a Métis Cree, he's from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and he's also an assistant professor in Métis Studies at York University in Toronto. And of course, he now lives in the Toronto area. And he won the Governor General's Academic Medal in 2016, and he's a Pierre Elliott Trudeau Scholar and Vanier Scholar. And his book, From the Ashes, is one of Canada's Canada Reads 2020 finalists. Now, Jesse, what, what happened with that? Has that been put on hold? How did that roll out? Because I thought that was going to be, maybe it did happen, I, I didn't catch it. Uh, what was going on with that? The, the yeah, Canada apparently... Reads. Yeah, the Canada Reads stuff is put on hold until after they can gather. Mm. Uh, so I guess they have to have legally have permission 
to gather more than five people. And mm-hmm. then when they can do that, they're going to bring the defenders together so that they can argue and uh, do the Canada thing. I don't know if they'll have the audience, though. Mm, right. Well, all the best with that. And uh, it was great to have you on talking about your book, uh, you know, before. Now, that story, of course, being about Métis homeless, homelessness and finding uh, your way uh, as well and uh, talking about your own life. Now, uh, recently, uh, you you did an article in uh, Toronto Life, and we're, we want to sort of catch up on that a little bit, find out not only how you're doing, but how now you're dealing with uh, the COVID-19 situation, because that's where the article that uh, we were just talking about came from, uh, being locked down, being isolated with your wife, um, not being able to socialize was getting to you at the time. And um, you, you said that sort of made you think of, of uh, when you were at a, at a point in your life uh, when you were in this situation waiting to find out about a sentence uh, that you were you were being brought up on on charges and and you said that you, you had also uh, a limited um, uh, area to 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 converse with others and and to do to do things freely yeah it, it, this time kind of reminds me of what's called dead time so this is mm. pre-sentence um time that people do while they're in custody and detention Mm. uh and it's before you've gotten you've been handed your your sentence and if you can't post surety then you have to stay in jail and when you're in there uh doing dead time it's very it's an uncertain time because you don't know whether you're going to be there for you know two weeks two years two decades you have no idea Mm. uh and so I describe it as kind of like being right now in society, all of us, we're kind of stuck in amber, you know, Mm -hmm. we're just like flies stuck in amber waiting and there's this uncertainty ahead and it reminds me a lot of my time while I was inside. And so I described it and wrote about it that way. And uh, it's the only thing that I have in my experiences where I can make a comparative analysis and say, yeah, it's kind of the same. Actually, this is worse, I think, though. Because, you know, I, I was inside for things that I do, have done wrong. Mm. Uh, and now this is because of, you know, the way that society as a whole is, uh, you know, not been a good relative within our underst- indigenous understandings. And the outcome is very uncertain, like survival of humanity in a lot of ways uh, or the way that things were is in question. And so... It it is worse, you know. I feel that it's worse now. So, right now, you just mentioned uh, relations and relationships uh, going further. But but part of the other thing that you referred to, um, and, and when you say relations, I guess, or relatives in that regard, and indigenous practices is as a word you referred to that is uh, that is from the Cree and Métis, um, Wakatwin. Wakuduin. Wakuduin. Um, and, and that means that everything is a giant web of kinship um, from your, your teachings that you, uh, someone you studied with uh, earlier. Yeah, yeah. The, I uh, didn't know my teachings or my culture really growing up. And so I came back to it in my 30s when I went back. And like it's a whole history of adoption and whatever. Um, but me going back was reclaiming that, and I came into contact with an elder, uh, Maria Campbell, who started teaching me about these things. And 
it just made a complete sense in my mind at the time. Like we're related to everything uh, as kin and we have responsibilities towards all of uh, existence, you know, like the grass is our relative, the trees are our relative, lakes, oceans, animals, each other, humans. And so we're all on this level playing field and we're supposed to be acting respectfully and taking only what we need and not abusing things. And like, you know, this mess of COVID, I think, is because we haven't been acting as good relatives. And this is the reaction of the earth or, you know, you could even look at COVID like a relative as like to put us in our place and to make us realize that we're not above anything. We don't have dominion over anything. We are relatives and we have to act accordingly. And so... I learned this years and years ago when I was first coming into my uh, Indigenous heritage. And I think that itself is what makes me Indigenous, is knowing that I, I'm a kin member to all of existence and that I have to treat it with respect. Yeah, and of course, I don't think you're the first person to, uh, to, to think in that regard. And certainly, if anything, I, I, I think I agree with you in terms of what COVID certainly has brought to, to mind. Uh, and I think it's made a lot of people think about our relationship. I mean, especially if you go back a year and you think about what were we focused on, what was in the news at this time, and and the uh, the environment, right? It was it was all being focused on the environment. There was walks being uh, done, and the youth were coming forward and talking about how uh, you know the the culture, the uh, the climate uh, was a big issue for them. They're inheriting the planet. And uh, it's being left in a bit of a of a mess. Uh, and of course, since we have had the lockdown of COVID, uh, you, we've seen a lot of things turn around. The waters are clearing up. Uh, air pollution is diminishing, and uh, that's kind of stuff that's being reported. And, and it's uh, bringing attention to, to different uh, uh, different things. And and now that people are locked down, uh, gives them a moment to um, sort of think about that. And hopefully, you know, when we come out of this, we will we will keep those things in mind and remember them. But, um, you know, the, the idea that you're referring to, you know, in the article, I have to, I, when I read it, I thought, hmm, because you referred to Jesus and, and you said, you know, um, maybe that, uh, you know, he didn't necessarily specify that neighbors were limited to people. And, yeah, and, and I thought, yeah, maybe he was. And, and certainly the idea is an indigenous one. Um, certainly uh, uh, that all indigenous people um, think uh, in very much in the same terms that you're referring to, of of uh, of being relation, relation, having a relationship with absolutely every the water, the sky, everything, uh, plants, everything, and that's what uh, in in the Six Nations, it's uh, there's a Thanksgiving address, which which you start with the very small and go to the very heavens and thank everything about uh, that we're connected to. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, you, the line is actually "love thy neighbor." Right? We've all heard mm-hmm. that. It's a very Christian, mm-hmm. uh, and it's attributed to Jesus. And but he never specified what neighbor meant. Right? That he could, neighbor could be your the ocean, mm-hmm. could be the skies, could be the trees. Mm-hmm. And if he meant that, right? Then we've been doing it wrong for two thousand years, right? And so. I really, I use that as a turn of phrase or a trick to relate to non-Indigenous peoples to kind of wrap their head around what I'm actually talking about. Mm. Um, because sometimes when you try to explain these things, like through the Western Judeo-Christian mind view or worldview, all they see is like humans and, you know, that that's all they can really wrap their mind around is like, 
uh, being relatives to other humans when, you know, clearly through our teachings, Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe, Mi'kmaq, uh, Neheo, uh, Michif, we all kind of have this like broader understanding of relatives and kinship and how we're related to everything. And it really does reframe how you walk through the world, right? You don't, you can't just take what you want because you have the right to, you know, use it. You have domain over it, which is what the Christians believe in our worldview is like, we have to contribute in a good way. That's, that's helpful for all things, all relatives in existence, you know, and I think that's such a more powerful uh, teaching and, and more relevant uh, now than it's ever been, really. You know, it's interesting, uh, of course, when you say that, uh, but, but you know, when you say we, we've been doing it wrong for 2,000 years, um, you know, many indigenous cultures were living very, very close to the land. They were living light on the land. Uh, North America is a perfect example of before European contact where indigenous cultures uh, were living uh, very much in harmony with, with the world and, and the things around it. And only with the, uh, you know, when Europeans came and started uh, interjecting the things they had learned and changing that process, uh, did that change. And it's too bad there wasn't more of that uh, that kind of open-mindedness to say indigenous people have that value to add to us. We could learn something from them uh, instead of thinking that there was nothing to learn here uh, from living light on the land, you know? Yeah, that's right. And that's what I meant by were. I mean like Western, mm. you know, uh, European encroachment of society. Of course, I understand that indigenous peoples have always um, lived and tried to live through this uh, more... Uh, this broader understanding of Okuruan. Mm. And so, yeah, imagine if they did. Imagine if Europeans came and they looked at like somewhere like Tenochtitlan, uh, uh, the Aztec Empire's capital, and say maybe there's something to learn about uh, sustainability here because mm. they don't need to import food. They can grow it all mm. here right in the city limits, and they're an entity unto themselves. No European city at the time could do that. And even today, city planners go back and look at that and say, well, they're actually living on the land harmoniously and could feed themselves. Mm. And we need to do that in our modern metropolises. So, you know, these teachings, like people are looking back 500 years and saying they actually had it right. And, you know, we're looking at these indigenous ways of living on the land and saying they have it right. We are relatives and even science is confirming yeah, we are all connected and there's yeah. no getting around that. And, you know, biologically, um, we're made of the same carbon, same material, same stardust. And so yeah, it's, it's, it's actually scientifically correct as well, which kind of blows your mind too, right? Because a lot of this has been chalked up to what anthropologists call animism. And mm. uh, they say these are primordial teachings, and, but really they're, they're, they're revolutionary and they're scientific today. And so who actually had it backwards is kind of the Judeo-Christian worldview. Yeah. You know, science is proving a lot of that wrong. So. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's very true. And it's unfortunate that it had to come to this point uh, um, for people to start realizing it. But uh, I guess that's the... Uh, that's uh, you know the, the way it's rolled out is that uh, for for many uh, if you don't have the initials behind your name then you know uh, if if you were simply uh, an elder or um, or someone in a, an indigenous community that might have had a great amount of knowledge 
uh, you know, traditional knowledge. Uh, it just uh, unfortunately wouldn't stand up to uh, someone from uh, a university or somewhere that uh, had those those um, uh, letters behind their name that uh, seemed to have more uh, clout and more representation. And uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I know where you're going with that for sure. Like. Uh, the this elder knowledge has been dismissed, like mm. you know, over and over. Like, um, and this goes right back to the the earliest um, quote unquote explorers, where mm. they didn't really understand what they were coming in contact with, or the people that they were speaking with, because they didn't go through the same kind of educational mm -hmm. systems that you know Europeans did with universities and priesthoods and all those things. But like in many ways. Indigenous knowledge transfer is more comprehensive. Like you start these trainings when you're, mm -hmm. you know, a child. Mm -hmm. In some cases, you work with an elder until, you know, they pass and you're in your 40s or 50s. And so it's a 50-year education as opposed to a four-year education at a university. So, like, which is more comprehensive, really? Mm -hmm. You know, if you look okay. at it through that sure. lens. It's just they didn't understand Um the knowledge systems that they came in contact with here in uh, yeah. Turtle Island. Yeah, very true. Don't go away because we're going to be right back here on Moment of Truth with more right after this. I'm just going to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. My guest is Jesse Thistle. He's a Métis Cree uh, uh, author, and uh, we did have him on the show prior to this talking about his book, From the Ashes. Uh, it was a great read for me. I, I suggest you pick it up and try it. He's, uh, he, he is uh, also from the, in the Canada Reads 2020 finalist for that book, which is going to be, as we mentioned at the top of the show, that's been uh, uh, put on hold for a while till we get through this pandemic that we're dealing with. Uh, Jesse, you know, uh, some of the things that we find ourselves in now because of the lockdown, because of the pandemic and COVID-19, um, you know, uh, we're, we're finding new ways uh, or we're having to find new ways to deal with uh, communication. And I know that was something that you initially, uh, when the article was written, that you were you were you were saying, you know, uh, you see other people were dealing with this as well, and you started to come up with some creative ways to sort of uh, start to deal with that. One of them was uh, looking at this traditional, the traditional values, and recognizing the relationship between uh, ourselves and everything, and maybe. You know, uh, COVID-19, again, has pointed that out to us, that we are all related. Uh, obviously, it doesn't matter where you live, what you do. Uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 will, if it can, it will find you. And that's the reason we're, we're in this uh, situation that we're in right now. Now, um, one of the things also that you did, I guess, recently is you started a Facebook chat, a Facebook chat with uh, that you do a couple of times a week, I believe, with the Incampo from uh, a tribe called Red. You guys are doing this thing, uh, chatting with uh, homies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's chat chatting with homies, and uh, Ian approached me one day, and he's like, you know, uh, you want to just go on the air and talk, and I broadcast it and see where it goes. And uh, I was like, sure, let's let's do that. And when we gathered, we started. Ian started 
sharing indigenous teachings and I started sharing what I knew about Wakudawan and he mm. shared what he knew about Anishinaabe language mm. and it just snowballed from there. We started get, uh, brainstorming and like thinking about, okay, well, how can we bring this indigenous knowledge to a broader audience? And mm. so we put it on Periscope, uh, which is on Twitter. Then he put it on Twitch. Um, and we started getting really top tier guests. Like, you know, we got, um, Wabashine Rice, we yeah. got uh, Rosanna Deerchild, we even mm. bring on like uh, settlers like George Stromlopkis, uh, <laughs> Clara Hughes, uh, Biff Naked, all kinds of people mm. to just chat and talk about Indigenous knowledge and get it out there. Because for us, that's the kind of thing that's getting us through now and it's given us comfort and it's, all, it's about that connection, that human connection. I don't think like a lot of people that are listening to us I don't think a lot of them have uh, have been exposed to concepts like Wakudwin or All My Relations or mm. know much about uh, Indigenous language like Anishinaabe, uh, Moen. So it's it's been beautiful and uh, people are saying like it should be required listening for high schools and, you know, mm. we're just a couple dudes chatting about this stuff that we know. So it's kind of cool. But but isn't that great? I mean, isn't that the, sometimes the best way teaching happens is just in the, in, in the form of conversation? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of like grown on its own from like a good idea. And mm. it's natural and it feels good. And we brought on uh, pro uh, producer uh, Kim Wheeler, uh, who's going to mm. polish up our episodes and, nice. and uh, make it into a podcast. Uh, I don't know if I let the cat out of the bag, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're professionalizing and we're, we're turning it into something more. And it's just, it's all happening naturally. And uh, when when is that aired? Uh, when do you guys do the that? Po the podcast or the chatting with homies? Yeah, chatting with homies. Uh, it's it's on Mondays and Fridays at seven p.m. Uh, and it's on Ian's uh, Facebook. Right. And I'll, I tweet about it at, at my uh, at mitchiffman dot com. Uh, right. And you'll see the graphics on Instagram too if you follow me or Ian. So. Yeah, I saw part of the uh, interview you did with Wob. It was, it was cool. So, yeah, yeah, and we got the inside scoop. Like, yeah. you know, because we're indigenous, we <laughs> we get these top tier indigenous guests that come on, and it's just like sitting around the kitchen table at your exactly. cookums, you know, and just sharing knowledge and talking. And so, think they'll say things with us that they they won't really share with the mainstream, and that's kind of cool, you know. It's for our people. Yeah, absolutely it is, and that's very cool about that. That's what's uh, very cool about it, like you said. And and going back to uh, the way Indigenous knowledge is taught and shared is what I was referring to when I said, you know, best place to, to learn is, is just through conversation. That's uh, how it's very oral, so yeah. it's very traditional in the way that it's shared, so... Right. That's right. It's uh, in academic speak. They say that's a, a dissemination methodology, but mm. like it, we just know it as, as having a good time around the kitchen table, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, listen. Now you've brought that up, academic. Um, how are things going at uh, at university? What's what's happening as far as you you know that way in terms of education, formal education, and things. Uh, well, York University has moved everything's uh, move everything online, and so mm. I'm teaching online this semester, the summer mm. semester, online introduction to Indigenous uh, mm. issues, um, and all my colleagues have done that. It's made it a lot more work. It's harder to, uh, you know, record all their all your lectures mm. and then video edit them and put them online and right. meet everybody via Zoom. But we're doing it right. It's it's happening and. 
you got to come up with creative solutions in these hard times and, and make things available because, you know, can't yeah. just stop and yeah. not do anything. We got to adapt like we've always done as a, uh, indigenous peoples to new circumstances and push right. forward. So uh, you said record your, your lessons. Is, is there any live interaction kind of stuff that you do with the students? Or yeah, all, I, yeah, I send out my lectures. Uh, they're like a half hour to an hour long. And then mm -hmm. I meet with them twice a week for an hour. And we okay. just discuss the readings and what mm. uh, was on the, the lecture recording and right. doing it that way. You know, I would have had to have to give uh, an hour long lecture anyway. So we're, it's yeah. just they're getting the video and then we get to talk on Zoom. But Zoom is kind of it's hard to interact with people and have like a constructive conversation. Just the structure of it is yeah. kind of strange, you know? You know, I think that uh, from a technological uh, perspective, this is something else that we are learning as we go through here. Um, I know that, that schools, uh, many universities, had a lot of online courses before. But I think that because we're seeing these uh, the, the, the inequities or the, the challenges with doing these kinds of things online in terms of education or teaching, they're probably going to be, uh, I'm sure there's people out there working on this stuff right now to make it more integrated, to make it more, uh, um, you know, a, a better way for people to communicate uh, so that we can advance this kind of, of, of thing uh, as we go forward, you know, so we can, we can maybe have, I don't know, who knows, holographic, uh, you know, uh, rooms with everybody sitting in there at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, where, where there's a need, there's innovation. and. Mm. There are, you're right. I believe that there are people working on it that's making it more accessible, easier to use. Uh, I know that uh, there are a lot of professors, older professors at, at uh, the university that are having a hard time, right? Because mm. they're not uh, as, mm. uh, you know, mm. savvy as yep. the younger generations are uh, technologically. And, you know, I fall somewhere in the middle there. Where I'm, I'm a little competent, but like the younger professors and younger lecturers, they're far more proficient than I am. And the ones who are older, they're having a little harder time. So, yeah, it's forcing us all to be innovative and to adapt. And we'll find a way. Humans are very innovative, and I have faith in our creativity. You know, when you said that, I thought of... Um I guess it was just a little over a hundred years ago or so where the industrial revolution took place. Mm. Maybe this is a technological revolution that's taking place at this point in time now that we're in this lockdown and we're, we're you know, we're starting to see, as you pointed out, there are some people that uh, because of uh, more senior uh, people that, that are having challenges with some of the technology and, and those kind of things. But I'm sure that, like you said, when there's a when there's a need, there's a, usually somebody working on something, and I'm probably gonna we're probably gonna see that stuff come to fruition in the next little while, of, for sure. Jesse, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show once again, and it's great to see you and talk with you. Yeah, it's been great talking with you too, David. Thank and, you. And listen, all the best in the future, and uh, we'll keep an eye on the uh, Canada Reads and see how that goes for you. Yeah, and uh, I just want to plug uh, chatting with homies once yeah. again. Come over, listen to us, and uh, I hope to share a tea with you all soon. <laughs> For sure, yeah, chatting with homies. Okay, Jesse, thanks once again. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking with you in the future. Marcy Miigwech, Nyawan. Okay, Nyawan. And that is Jesse Thistle. He's a Métis Cree author. He's also an assistant professor and in Métis Studies at York University. It was a pleasure to speak with him about uh, being locked down in COVID-19 and some Indigenous teachings and uh, 
yeah, just great to catch up with them. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening.